When uh, one of my sons was about 14, we were going somewhere here in Anaheim, and when I parked the car, he just came up with a question. I think you'd like to know about this question. I don't know if, if you've had it or you will. And just a little human background about this particular son when he was 13 or 14, the age he asked the question. Okay, I'm just telling you the facts. Girls thought he was cute. <laughs> and he was a kind of a fun guy, a pleasant person. So he just comes up with the question, Dad, how old do I need to be before I can start dating? That was his question. And he uh, respected his dad. He would have at least considered his dad's word. But I wondered, in the few seconds I had to answer the question, what should I say? So this is the answer I gave him, and it will, I believe, lead into my speaking with you tonight. I said, well, it depends. It depends on something. The age at which you begin to date these girls that are calling you, and that was before texting and emails. I don't know what he would do now. I said, it depends. If you decide to be for the Lord, you will probably wait quite a while. If you decide not to be for the Lord, you'll probably want to start rather soon. In other words, the final decision, a temporary decision could be made by dad, but the final decision will be made by you. And you don't have to be as old as your dad or your grandpa to make the decision. The most important decision of my life I made when I was 15. The second most important, which directed my whole life, I made when I was 16. So you're not too young to hear about what I'm going to share with you. And then after I share it with you, I think you'll be clear that the decision is up to you. And there won't be any pressure tonight for anyone to make any decision. Rather, my intention is to help you understand something. And I believe many of you will just think about it from time to time. And then you'll either decide or not decide. God created human beings, not as robots, 
He did not plant some kind of chip in the base of your brain or inject something into your DNA so that unconsciously you would do whatever God wants. That's not the way we're made. We have something called our human will, which can make decisions. We can't decide everything about the whole universe, but we can make decisions that will affect our life. And no one properly can make these decisions for you. If your parents understand, they will not make this decision for you. God won't. Your angel, who may be quite busy keeping you out of trouble, I know he was quite busy keeping me alive, he won't make it. The elders in the church and the co-workers, they can't make it. Your friends can't make it, only you. But with God, only yes is yes. But no takes two forms. You can just say no. Lord, my decision for now is no. Or you can make no decision, which also equals no. So let's suppose that two fourth-term FTTA trainees, you know, they're serving, they finish the training, and they kind of have feelings for each other. And so when they graduate and it's legal, they, they can begin to develop a relationship. And it goes quite well. And, you know, they talk about marriage. But eventually, the brother realizes it's time. We're clear. And so he decides on upon a situation and a place and a time to ask her the question. And so he says something like this. Um, I believe the Lord has brought us together. I love you. I'm thankful for our fellowship. My choice is to be with you the rest of my life. Will you marry me? And she just sits there. No response verbally. She may be crying. She may be laughing. She may be <laughs> nervous. But let's suppose after five minutes, 10 minutes, no answer. The silence equals no. So the brother closes a little box that was open, <laughs> and then begins to decide what I'm going to do with this round thing with the mineral on top. <laughs> and 
And so you'll see, I believe, by the time we finish, this won't be hard to grasp. Your whole life, in every aspect of it, will be determined by decisions you make. And tonight we'll talk about the second biggest one, the most important one, is the decision to open to the Lord, to believe into the Lord, to receive him into you. This is the greatest decision. That's the decision I made when I was 15. That decides something eternally. You are born of God. You cannot be unborn. No matter how you live, you cannot be deborn. You cannot. Once you're born of God, you're born of God. You have eternal life. Your sins are forgiven. But the other decision concerns the will of God. The will of God. And whether or not you in your human life, starting at any point, will decide to live for God's will or not. That, that is the decision. Now first, I'd like to begin with God, uh, not with you, but with God, to try to help you understand from the New Testament what we mean by the will of God and what God's will is. Then we will look at this matter from the point of view of your life. And then you'll decide in which of two categories of people you will be. Now, as God looks upon the human race, he can categorize us in various ways, the godly and the ungodly, the saved and the unsaved, the believers and the unbelievers. But there's another category, and that is the foolish and the wise. The foolish and the wise. And the verse, I'll refer to them rather than read them, that is the theme, is a verse in, a verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the foolish are those who do not understand what the will of the Lord is, or they may understand a little because they were in meetings like this, but they don't want that then they're foolish in the sense of the previous verse, verse 16. They waste their time. 
They waste their time, which means they waste their life, little by little. But the other category consists of those who understand what the will of the Lord is because they have been taught and they have been enlightened by the Spirit. And they choose that. It's somewhat like this imaginary sister saying, of course I will marry you. That is a basic decision for the rest of her life. Time will tell all that that decision includes, all that it will involve. But this is a permanent, irreversible decision made with much thought, hopefully much prayer, and consideration, and with deep feeling. My wife and I have been married for more than 48 years. When I moved to Anaheim 20 years ago, and was first going to see a certain doctor and his staff, and they're getting basic information, the nurse was shocked. How could you be married so long? 28 years. She didn't meet very many people like this. To me, nothing is more normal than being married your whole life. Because the decision was for my whole life. So I'm talking to you about a decision more important than marriage. And that's why I will not try to stir up your emotion. We will not sing sentimental songs and ask you to make a decision. We will just sow this into you and trust the Lord and you to consider it. Let's start with God. What do we mean by the expression, the will of God? Basically, two things, and the second thing supports the first. God's will is what he wants. That's his will, what he wants. And when God wants something, he really wants something. So God's will is what he desires, what he wants, what he wishes. And then the will of God is God's determined intention to carry out his purpose. This is God's will, what he wants, and his determined intention to carry it out. Many years ago, I had a fun class in the full-time training. At least I I had fun. I don't know if the trainees had fun, but it was fun. 
I asked them, give me the one verse in the Bible that explains why everything exists. And it took them close to half an hour. Finally, they come up with the verse that some of you are trying to think of, but I think you're mistaken. It's a verse in Revelation chapter 4. Because of your will, all things were created. So God's will is the beginning of everything. But before God created, he himself made some decisions. And you have to know these decisions affect you forever, and God never asked your permission. He just decided, before there was a universe, that you would be holy as God is in nature. And God decided you would become a son of God. That means you would have the life and nature of God, and that for eternity... You will be with, be with all the believers enjoying the triune God. And the fact that you're here and you believe is evidence that you were chosen and predestinated. So then God, in order to have what he wants, and I'll tell you what he wants before too long, he created everything because of his will. That is why you exist. Every positive thing was created because of God's will. China exists because of God's will. The U.S. exists. You exist. Your existence matters to God. He knew you before he created the universe. He chose you. He planned when and where you would be born. We exist because of God's will. Now, just peeking at the second part of the sharing, that is your decision. Since we exist because of God's will. What kind of life will we have if we don't care about God's will? I'm thinking of a rather medium-length word starting with C that will describe the kind of life people have when they disregard God's will. They are a living walking contradiction in their own being. They are living contrary to what they are by nature. So what does God want? Well, this matter was hidden. Basically, until after the Lord Jesus came 
and Paul became a believer. And someone who was helping Paul get started as a Christian told him in Acts chapter 22, verse 14, God has chosen you to know his will. So in Paul's writings, we see what God's will is. And I'll tell you simply, it is to have Christ and the church. It is to have a group of people on earth who love the Lord, who are one with the Lord, who experience the Lord, and enjoy the Lord, so that God can have the church that will become his bride. This is what God wants. His will is to have a group of people of all ages, races, nationalities, and cultures in whose lives Christ becomes everything in the way of enjoyment. He wants to make this wonderful Christ everything in them, in their human life. No matter what is happening. And these ones will discover how delightful this person is, how pleasant he is, how lovely he is. Then the Lord wants that these people who believe in the Lord and are open to the Lord will live for the Lord in the church which the Lord is building all over the earth. And that church will be the expression of the Christ whom we enjoy. It is, this is why the universe exists. Now, certain aspects of God's will are set. You were chosen. You were predestinated. You will be part of the new Jerusalem as the corporate expression of God, whether you want to or not. It's too late. But two periods of time, not eternity, but two long periods of time, especially in the mind of a young person, you might, might as well be eternity. These periods of time are your human life and the thousand years that will follow after this age. These two periods of time will be very much determined. That is what you are during these periods of time by your decision. There's nothing you can do about your eternal destiny. That's settled. You've been born of God. Your sins have been forgiven. Otherwise, you couldn't sing the way you sang tonight with genuine joy. But God's will needs to be accomplished on the earth with human beings 
in time. And here's the real situation. Only one person who ever walked on the earth did God's will. Only one. Only one man lived for God's will, obeyed God's will, even though God's will was that he lived for only 33 and a half years. It didn't matter to him. This one, the Lord Jesus could say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. So the Lord Jesus, who was obedient unto death, he is the will of God man. We'll describe him this way. Now Christ as the Spirit is inside of you right now. The Lord is with your spirit. You are one spirit with the Lord. When I was 16, and I had been a believer for about two months, I had a strange feeling. But I couldn't talk, to, talk about it to anyone. There was no one who could help me. I knew that. But I just said to myself, I was 16, there's another person in me. There's another person. I didn't say there's another life, there's another nature. There's another person. And somehow I knew that it was Christ himself. Eleven years later, having lost basically those eleven years, I learned to help from a man from Chifu, that I have a spirit, and Christ is the spirit, and he's the person inside of me. Now, the Christ who is inside of you, as you're sitting here, tuning in or out, or going in and out of the message, is the will of God man. This is how he lives. If you would let him live in you, this is how he would live in you. And he would give you a sense of wanting this for yourself. Okay. So here we are, and here you are. A human being with a good mind, a regenerated spirit, a heart that can love, and a will. Now what does God want? I would say, what does God need? He needs us one by one, not as a group. 
one by one, because this is personal, to decide and then to have a talk with the Lord and tell him, I choose to do your will for my whole life. I choose this. And I choose this because I believe that your choice for my life is much better than my choice for my life. And so I want to settle it now. I'm only 14. I'm only 17. I want to settle it now. That throughout the course of my whole life, every major decision I will make according to your will. Every decision. I choose not to make any major decision without you. What I study and wear after high school. I will decide with you. What I will do after I finish that education, training or something else, I will decide with you. I will not decide on marriage apart from you. Every decision of my life I will make in fellowship with you. This is settled. This is my decision. It's not a promise. The Lord doesn't want you to make a promise. I will be this, I will be perfect, I will be this and that. Just choose. I didn't ask my wife to promise that she'll cook pizza once a week that you'll make your prize-winning spaghetti every so often. I wasn't interested in her promising to do anything. I only cared for one thing. Will you marry me? Be one with me. Now, this decision will first affect our whole life on earth. But you need to be clear about one thing. We all know the story of the father with two sons and the younger son wanted to take off and have fun. And he asked for his inheritance and the father gave it to him. The father didn't try to control him. The father allowed him to do what he wanted to do. But the father didn't stop loving him. He didn't give up on him. But he didn't control him. You need to realize something about God. He will not force you to do his will. He will permit you to do all kinds of things. 
And you may choose to do God's will in that sense. Whatever I can be allowed to do, I will do. That's not the decision the Lord led me to make. And it's not the decision I recommend. The decision I recommend is you say, Lord, I do not want to do what I can get away with. I do not want to do what you will allow me to do. I choose what you appoint me to do. That is your perfect will. This is called consecration. Consecration is not mainly a matter of being stirred up in your emotion and then on a Saturday night at a retreat, you say something. That's not wrong. Consecration is a decision. You're giving your consent, your agreement to the Lord that he can direct your whole life. That he can work in you. He can shape you. He can operate in you. In 1987, I was very seriously ill. more than I realized. And then I reached a critical point that at midnight the surgeon had to be called and said, we have to intervene. But before we can do anything, you need to sign your consent on this sheet of paper. And we will do these three things when we operate. You have to agree to all of them. Everything depended upon my decision. The surgeon was there, Brother Rick Scatterday was there, the saints were concerned, but would I give consent? I gave consent, let them put me under, let them do what they needed to be done, and my life was saved. I couldn't operate. I couldn't deal with my problem. I couldn't promise to be healthier and eat healthier from now on. No more mother of all ice cream, which everybody knows is Jamocha almond fudge. I could only say yes. Because this is a matter of will. Now, if you decide to do God's will, whatever it is, and you don't know what it is, for your whole life, which will go by quicker than you could ever imagine. 
then when you meet the Lord, he will say, okay, because you did my will in your lifetime, I will reward you. You will be with me in the kingdom for a thousand years. Because the Lord himself said this, and I'm speaking to believers now, even though you're young believers. The Lord said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of the heavens. But he who does the will of my Father who is in the heavens. The unbelievers, being foolish, will waste their time. And the enemy will use one invention after another to steal your time, which is to steal your life. And then there are the believers who simply don't know. They haven't heard the truth. But the blessing and the responsibility of being in the church life is that you hear the truth. You know that God has a will. He wants something. He's determined to have something. He wants to have millions of people who love his son, in whom he can cause his son to live again and make them the same as he is. Then together they will be the church. That's what he wants. So it's Christ and the church. And these believers go through their human life in a normal way as students, as professionals or tradesmen, as young married people, as parents. They have to do all the human things. They're not strange. But they know why they exist. They know why they're breathing. They know they exist because God has a will. They were created for this. They understand what this will is, at least a little bit. So they make a decision at whatever age. If I had known this when I was 16, maybe I would have been raptured by now. Who knows? I had no way of knowing. I searched for this desperately for years and years. What is the point of it all? What's the meaning of it all? Don't tell me I'm just saved then to go to heaven when I die. That's a joke. 
What about life on earth? What's the point? Then to see the point, God wants his son to be everything to you in the way of enjoyment. And he wants you to be one with all those who experience and enjoy Christ. So together, you will be built up in love to express him. And that corporate person, the church, will become his bride and eventually his kingdom. And when the Lord has that, he will end the age. Now, we're almost done with my part. Almost meaning between 10 and 12 minutes, rough estimate. What are some indicators that we've made this decision? What's involved? Well, one is, it affects the way we pray. The Lord Jesus was teaching his disciples one day, this is the way you should pray. Pray to God the Father. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You will pray for this. Another indicator is that you will begin to see through the mask of the world, of the world. When my daughter was still in her mother's womb, we prayed. She was born in 1967. We prayed as soon as possible in her life. Show her the vanity of the world. And she began to see that when she was still in junior high. The vanity of it. The mask was removed because the whole world opposes the will of God. The whole world. And every aspect of it opposes the will of God. So an elderly apostle, believe it or not, a lot older than I, he wrote down this, do not love the world, neither the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And then he said this, the world passes away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You are going to face one test after another as the world intensifies its opposition. And the key to your victory is that you made a decision. Not that you have the power to withstand it, but you have made a decision. And now the triune God and the entire body of Christ stands with you to work out that decision. You'll realize I'll be a normal person. 
I'll get the best education or training I can get. I'll work responsibly at my job. I'd like to get married and have a family. I'll take care of my health. I need a suitable place to live in. But something is settled in me. I know why I am alive. And I need the things of the earth. But I do not love the world. And point after choice after choice, I choose between the world and the will of God. Then Paul goes on to say, the will of God is your sanctification. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And the context there, I don't need to go into detail, is how you will care for your physical body when it comes to male-female relationships. That is what Paul is saying. God wills that your body be offered to God for his will to be done. God's will is done in space and time. They're physical. It involves our body and everything related to it. And you know better than I, but even, what, 44 years ago, when, 34 years ago when my son asked the question, the issue was, what are you going to do with your physical body? How will it be if you start dating at 14? And you're alone, unsupervised, for hours at a time. What will be the outcome? <clears throat> I'm not saying if you make some mistakes, it cannot be recovered. I wish I could have asked my dad the question, I don't hold it against him. I won't say I was cute when I was 14. But I started dating when I was young, okay? I have no pleasant memories of that whole period of time. None. None. Even it wasn't that bad, meaning the behaviors, but bad enough. If I had to do it over again, I would just say, let me be sanctified in this matter. Let me wait. So I told my son, I'm not giving you a year. Before too long, I won't be able to give you any restriction. You'll be a young man. You'll make your own decision. The decision concerning that will depend on your decision concerning what you live for. If you live for the will of God, then you will ask him. 
about this. You will pray, preserve me, keep me. I had a girlfriend named Sharon when I was in my late teenagers, teenage years. I said I didn't know what was going on for 11 years after I got saved. I had no help. That's not an excuse. It's just a fact. And she ended the relationship, and I kind of got a major owie. I think my heart was broken. It really was. <laughs> then as time went by, and after I met Susan, my wife, a few years later, when I was in New Jersey and she was at Columbia, and I realized, what a difference. What an incredible difference. Sharon was attractive, brilliant, but in no way would she have agreed to marry me, get in a car in New York, and drive out to California because that was the Lord's leading. If I had married her, it would have been a disaster. Furthermore, I found out just a few years ago, she died suddenly at the age of 42. God knows what he's doing. He knows. I assure you, young sisters, he will not make you marry some ugly, geeky brother you can't stand. He's not that kind of person, okay? He's the one who set up the divine romance. Okay, enough of this, you got the point. Then Paul mentions three practical things also in 1 Thessalonians what God wants. And I'm somewhat paraphrasing. One, one is rejoice always. What God wants, he really wants you to be joyful. He really does. This is a human need. He wants you to discover how enjoyable he, his son is. How delightful. When we sing a hymn sometime at the Lord's table, I cannot sing enough of thee. My heart is filled with ecstasy when in thy face of radiancy I see such beauty there. God wills that you be happy in Jesus. Then Paul says, pray without ceasing. Let me put it this way. God wants you to talk to him. I know you can see, he can see you and you can't see him, but eventually you'll learn how to handle this, to converse with him honestly about whatever is going on in your heart. Tell him, open to him. And then there's something, maybe I'm mistaken, but this will characterize people at the end of this age. So we have to be different. 
as the age comes to an end, the people on earth will be completely without thankfulness for anything. For anything. They just feel I'm entitled to everything. But someone who lives in the will of God learns to be thankful. To be thankful. To be happy. To pray. To be preserved. To see through the mask of the world. Now I end with this. God has a principle in the way he works in human life. And he honors this. The devil honors this. And human beings must honor it. In Revelation 3, the Lord is outside the door of one of the churches. So he's knocking on the door. Remember what he says? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. The Lord moves only when there is an active decision on our part. But suppose he came, we're using a metaphor, the door of your heart, and the door is open, he will not come in. When you are passive, that is not thinking, not using your will, he will wait. But the enemy will come in and do as much as possible if you are passive. That is why our will is so central. There's a hymn in our hymnal. I don't think it's exactly a young person's favorite, but eventually you won't be young people anymore. The hymn says, to the foe, my word is always no. To the Father, it is yes. So God created everything because of his will. His will is Christ and the church. That's what he wants. That is what he is determined to have. We were redeemed for this. We're in the church for this. We've already made the decision to believe in the Lord. But sooner or later, you will make some kind of decision regarding what God wants to do in your life, throughout your whole life, what he wants, whom he wants you to marry, what he wants you to study, what job he wants you to take, where he wants you to live, how you will take care of human affairs. Everything that concerns you matters to him. First Peter 5 says this, it matters to him concerning you. Everything matters to the Father. But the Lord will not violate your will during your lifetime. Sooner or later, during the kingdom age, everyone will be disciplined to obey. 
But in this age, there's some amount of genuine freedom. So don't be foolish. Understand. Understand what the will of the Lord is. This message is meant to be a teaching, not an inspiration in an emotional way. God has a will. You were created because of God's will. You can either say no or say nothing, or you can compromise to say, will you let me do this? Will you allow me to go there? That's not the decision you want to make. You want to make, Lord, what do you choose? What do you want? After Paul was saved, he took this course. He was absolutely opposed to the will of God. But from that point on, it was really simple. Whatever God wants, whatever God wills, that is my choice. So I leave this with you with no pressure to do anything quick. I'm not interested in a lot of outward display, although you may want to share something. That would be good, just to speak something. But this is personal. It's like a proposal of marriage. And my responsibility before the Father is to present this to you. And my prayer before coming here was very simple before the Lord. And that was, Lord, I pray that among those in this meeting there will be a number that will choose to do the will of God for their whole life and give themselves to you for this purpose. So now you know my heart and you know something about God's heart and something about your own human life. So consider this. Open to the Lord about it if you want to. Pray about it if you want to. Then when you're ready, respond to the proposal. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. May the Lord bless you all Amen. and preserve you all Amen. in and for the will of God.